Beth and I'm a psychological wellbeing practitioner from Newcastle. I just wanted to say the biggest thank you to the contributors of the Clinical Psychologist Collective book. I've enjoyed reading this so much and loved having an insight into the range of backgrounds and experiences people have prior to applying for the doctorate and it's been really interesting seeing the potential barriers to the application as well and how I can try and work around this. I really started to doubt myself and whether I was good enough to apply for the clinical psychology doctorate but this has really given me the confidence boost that I needed to give it a shot so the biggest thank you ever. If you're looking to become a psychologist Then let this be your guide With this podcast at your side You'll be on your way to being qualified It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast With Dr. Marianne Trent Hi, welcome along to the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am Dr. Marianne Trent and I am a qualified clinical psychologist. Thank you so much for listening. So when we are working in mental health, there can feel like a lot of different issues that we need to be aware of. And it can feel like a very quick paced, quick moving beast really to get our heads around and how best to understand the broad variety of people that we work with and the unique needs that might well be different to our needs personally and professionally. And one of the recent um, very important debates and themes that have been raised um, in the media, but also in mental health, has been that of gender and diversity. And I'm delighted to be able to welcome my guest today so that we can all think about how to understand more about um, these important issues and how we might be able to make changes in the way that we do things in our personal and professional practice to better be inclusive and to yeah help other people know how open to conversations we are in this area and how we strive to help people feel understood validated um, and heard and seen please do stick around to the end because you will be able to um, learn about an exclusive competition that I'm running to win um, two very exciting prizes but you'll need to take action quick because the entry will close um, a week today. It will close at midnight on Monday the 2nd of January 2023. So dive in, listen to this episode to find out how you can enter the competition which is linked to the content of today's podcast. So with no further ado, let me shush and introduce you to our wonderful guest for today. Hope you find it so useful. I'll see you on the other side um, with more information about that competition. Hi, welcome along to today's episode of the Aspiring Psychologist podcast. I am thrilled to be introducing you to G. Sabini Roberts. Hi, G. Hi. So there's a number of reasons I wanted to talk to you um, in today's episode. Um because you're just a really interesting character to get to know. So we met on socials um, and I've been following your work for a while and you're really inspiring for a number of reasons. Um, by trade, you're a brand specialist or doing um, branding and logos and things like that. Is that right? 
That is right. Yeah, the original business, 11 years old now. Yep, is uh, graphic design with a very definite brand specialism. Yeah. Yeah, but you definitely have a more modern twist on the way you work um, and True. the topics that you talk about, and that's really what I want to talk um, with you and to our audience about today. So, originally, I wanted to talk to you for a little bit of help, really, a little bit of guidance for how we can be really inclusive in modern mental health services, for thinking about um, diversity and gender and all stuff um, along those lines. What's your best advice for how we can do things better in modern mental health services, G? Oh, what a huge question. (laughs) I think um, based on on the conversation you you and I have already had, what we really want to talk about is is confidence and comfort in being able to talk about these things. So just in terms of background, I'm queer, I'm non-binary, trans, I use they, them pronouns, um, and I, I have been queer my whole life. And so as well as the branding business in the last few years, I've been doing a lot more diversity inclusion work, which as you will find when you speak to most people who are LGBTQ, we end up inadvertently delivering awareness training information being the go-to voice because we're the only gay that somebody knows it for for example we all do that anyway that's something we do for free every day of the week however a few years ago we started offering that myself and a couple of partners started offering that on a professional basis as well so i have that slant to things too but i'm very much an lgbtq specialist within that um so really i think the, the biggest question most people seems to be how do I get it right? Okay, if I'm faced with a trans person, as an example, how do I speak with them, uh, refer to their past, talk to them in, in a way that enables them to access whatever it is we're trying to access in a way that includes them and doesn't put up barriers? Is that right? Is that, is that where, do you think that kind of thing is, is what will be useful for people here? Absolutely. Yes, please. Okay. So the first aspect of this is to recognize that when it comes to gender identity particularly gender identity is is an identity it's how you feel in your head your gender is between your ears not between your legs is a brilliant quote that's a Chas Bono magical quote um but it's true so when we're talking from a psychological point of view it is very much it's an identity that is owned and it does not necessarily correlate in any way shape or form with somebody's physiology biology, anatomy, hormones, chromosomes, all of the things that go into making a biological sex. And it's important to acknowledge that because somebody may walk into a room and you look at them and you clock them as a particular gender and you do not know that that's the case until you've actually asked them if that's how they identify. And this is why it's sometimes really easy to inadvertently put our foot in it because we make assumptions. And that's the first thing is to recognize that we live in a massively gendered society. We have gendered everything from jobs to emotions to fashion, all of it. We have assumptions of we see this and we assume male, we see that, we assume female. And that's the thing that we need to unpackage if we are going to make sure that at any moment when we meet somebody new or we encounter somebody new, we are aware that they may not identify in the way we're going to assume that they will because we've been conditioned by the world that we live in. That's the first thing. So 
any time you might say, oh, yes, um, that, do you see that, that lady down the end of the corridor? That's the, the person. Immediately, you do not know. That person may be wearing a dress, but would they identify as a lady? Would they identify as a lady, even if they identified as a woman? It, it's all about recognising the language we use can be very weighted and being conscious of, as a starting point. Um, and we can we can work around that. So there's been a lot of conversations over recent years around pronouns and people sharing their pronouns and asking for pronouns. And that is a really significant thing. Uh, I have encountered people who have said, I see other people sharing their pronouns, but um, I, I'm, I'm a man. I'm clearly a man. People perceive me as a man and therefore I don't need to share them because, because it's obvious. And if we can reflect that back, we can say, well, if you are somebody who is regularly perceived by the world around you, by the people you encounter every day in the street as the gender that you know yourself to be, then you have gender privilege. And what we are asking people to do by adding their pronouns to their email signatures or their, their ID tags on their video calls and things like that is we are recognizing that not all people identify as the gender you may assume them to be when you see them on screen or encounter them in a in, a, in whatever setting you're in we don't know and by adding our own we help to normalize the process of including that as part of how we all generally identify first off it means that you're always going to be gendered correctly because your pronouns are right there but it also means that two things. One, you'll encounter people who say, why have you put your pronouns on there? You, 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 you've got a beard and a deep voice. You're clearly a man. So, well, actually, not, not all people who maybe have those features are men. And I'm making it clear that I am. And I'm also subtly telling the world, telling any person who is gender diverse that may encounter me that I'm safe. I get it. I've thought about this stuff and I recognize that as somebody who has gender privilege, I can start to normalize this process of asking for pronouns, making identifying one's own pronouns part of normal everyday culture. It takes the pressure off gender diverse people to always be the people who are saying, excuse me, can I just correct you there? Which every time you have to do that, we've got that the negative impact that that has on somebody's mental well-being is significant, especially when you're doing it. 33 times a day. So we start to help to take that pressure by being proactive in that kind of thing. So that's that's the first point to acknowledge is we don't know. I know that's specifically gender and we may want to talk about diversity and inclusion in a, in a more broad way, but that is one of the most significant questions I get asked. What, what's all this pronoun stuff about? And that is what it's about. That's really interesting. And I know, you know, I think on LinkedIn, because it offers you, you know, to choose your pronouns, I have done that. But like you said, you know, whilst I don't have a beard, um, I do have long hair and often wear dresses. And so I wouldn't necessarily have thought, for example, on this to put Dr. Marianne Trent, she, um, her, that's, that would be my pronouns, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. But I will do. Um, I will work out how to change this on StreamYard and I will do um, because, yeah, I think you're right. Um, just because I'm feeling like I know that I am a she and her, um, it does give 
gives the sign that I'm happy to have that conversation and see that as an important conversation to have. So that's absolutely my first learning point from from talking with you. So thank you for that, Jay. No worries. It's it's fascinating stuff. It really is. And just say I know plenty of non-binary people and gender diverse people who to look at. They have long hair. They sometimes wear dresses. It. I don't know. Until you said that then, I didn't know. And then we've got a side issue here when it comes to titles. You know, you have a non-gender specific title, which has pros and cons. You know, I would, I have one. Mine is MX, Mux. And that, although it has been a legal title and, and recognized for the last 20 years, it isn't on every form. That's also a very interesting conversation to have because I know you yeah. had quite a high profile battle with your mortgage provider when you moved oh, yeah. recently didn't you could you tell us a bit about that because that was fascinating it was it was a little bit crazy but yes um my legal name is mux g just the letter g c just the letter c sabini roberts that is my complete legal name i changed it by depot i have all the documentation my bank accounts are in that name and my my driving license is in that name that is my legal name and just as an aside, anybody can change their name by deed poll to anything at any time, and that is entirely legal. So I have a legal name, and it's what I go by. At the start of this year, my wife and I wanted to get a mortgage to buy the house that we now live in. And the broker that we were working with came back to us and said, right, we've got the mortgage, it's all agreed, it's great, um, here it is. And they had put Mrs. as my title. So of course we went back and said, well, actually, that's, that's not correct. Um, can you change it please this is the legal name and this was with um, one of the UK's biggest banking groups in fact the biggest I think um, and we were basically they didn't have my title on their system they couldn't figure out how to make it work so well we can't do that at which point we have a problem because we also have money laundering laws that state if you are taking out a financial agreement such as a mortgage it has to be in your legal name Otherwise, you are breaking the law. So we have two things going on here. That is, firstly, we can't, our systems, the computer says no, essentially. Our systems can't accommodate that because, it, yes, it's been around for 20 years, but we haven't put it into our systems yet. And then you've got the book. We can't give you a different name. They did try to give me different names. They suggested Mrs. They then suggested V as my title, the GC Sabini Roberts. For some reason, they could make that work and they couldn't make mix work. And eventually, after weeks of wrangling, which of course, we were in the process of trying to buy a house. It's, it's not exactly a, a low key time. So it was quite a stressful situation, full stop. Eventually they did find a workaround with their systems. The media got, got hold of this because at one point I, I reached out and I said, I, this is maddening and really frustrating. How come you can't use my legal name? I cannot be the first mux person who has tried to get a mortgage with this massive bank. It can't be the case. However, it turns out I was the first one to have that problem and then not back down and come and agree to a compromise. And so we made it everywhere. We were we were we were in the Daily Mail and on Lad Bible and all over the place talking about this, the fact that this was such an issue. And then ultimately celebrating the fact that they figured out how to make it happen and they are going to be changing their processes moving forward they now have a system by which people who have a title that isn't already on their system that they can actually use their legal name to get 
a legal mortgage. It was it was huge, um, and it was just for me it was crazy that it in 2022 that it had to happen and it had to get as big as it did before they actually worked out how to make it fit. But it's well done, well done to you though, because actually it is that I'm not backing down. <laughs> this is correct. This is right, and I believe this needs to happen. And it should it should have been available. Um, whereas lots of people will just comply, won't they? Oh, I might have taken the, um, but like you said, that's not my legal name. I am not. I am not the Marianne Trent. Um, you know, <laughs> legally, I'm Doctor or Mrs. Um, mm-hmm. So those would be the options I would have gone. And if Doctor hadn't been available, I would have gone with Mrs. But actually, I should have the choice to be able to say Doctor if I want to. Um, but not all systems are geared up for no. that. No. And that's the same everywhere, even within the NHS. Uh, I am only registered with my legal name in some but not all aspects of of my healthcare, um, simply because some systems can handle it now and some can't, which is a challenge. And this is a challenge when we're looking at healthcare in a, in a broader sense, because we have got different issues at play here. When we start looking at healthcare settings, I know we're talking specifically about um, psychology here, but it's the same if if somebody's an inpatient for whatever reason, and they are in a ward with a group of people who are meant to be the same gender. Well, if I was a trans man and I changed my, uh, I actually went through and changed my name on my medical records and changed my um, marker, my gender marker from say female to male, then I would be invited for standard prostate screening. I would not be invited for cervical screening, for example. If I went into hospital and a trans man who goes through a full transition uh, is a man and will be perceived by, as a man by people in the street. He may have facial hair. He will have a deep voice. His, his body fat distribution in his body over a period of years of taking testosterone will you you will recognize him as a man but actually that man could still get cervical cancer for example and if they do and they're taken into hospital what ward do you put them in because if you put them in a gynecology ward and the five other people in that ward are women looking at this bearded chap in the bed off on the opposite side of the room they're not going to feel comfortable that man is not going to feel comfortable we actually have a challenge here to how we make trans inclusive and gender diverse inclusive practices function. I'm not, I don't have an answer necessarily, but there are very big questions on how we, how we work this. How do we find a way that meets everybody's needs? Absolutely. And I think we're going to be really stirring the pot now, rightly so in, um, in mental health services up and down the country, as we all then go to our, care notes software whatever software we're using and just looking at what pronouns are available um and rattling some cages if the mm-hmm. there's not more inclusive options available um mm-hmm. so yeah really important to to get our little renegade activists um out into <laughs> <laughs> out well, into it, services yeah. yeah it's partly it's partly uh well, pronouns and titles are different i think that's an important thing to, to recognize is getting someone's name right matters that's an important part of treating them as a human being. So having someone's name right is there, but actually having a note on their records about pronouns is really useful. 
because there's a lot of talking about people in the third person in a medical setting. You, know, you will talk to other professionals who are working with that person. And even if that person isn't the room, it isn't in the room, you should be using the pronouns that are right for that person. Is there a place on the records where we can say these are the pronouns that we use for this individual? Not to my knowledge, not when I was in the NHS, um, but it might have changed. I left in April 2021, so it might have changed since then. But to my knowledge, there wasn't at that time. But I would hope there will be if there isn't already. Um, but yeah, I think if, you know, I, I spend a lot of time talking with um, aspiring psychologists. And the way that I would say this is I would say when I um, am talking to a client, um, I will say, when I'm not with you, for example, when I'm talking in supervision, I will make sure that I always use your preferred pronoun of they and them, um, just so we're making those processes more transparent, but also respectful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, very much. Yes, and language goes further than that, doesn't it? Yeah, there will be people who have encountered the argument that's come out in the last few years about expanding the language that we use in the services we offer the general public. As an example, we've got the the breastfeeding and chest feeding conversation and the fact that some trusts in the last five or so years have started to release information to their service users that talks about breastfeeding and chest feeding or talks about the gestational parent as a way of making sure that people who are maybe non-binary or, or trans men who are going through pregnancy and having children are included in the services and are meant to feel safe and included and heard and, and respected within those services and we've had a lot of backlash from that as well and that is quite a challenging one because that backlash and that argument is happening all the way up to the very top levels of decision making within all kinds of, of trusts and organizations and educational establishment those conversations are going on and I think this is where it's 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 appropriate to talk about this gender critical movement. You know, there is a section of the population, section of, of all these organisations that are very against that evolution into more inclusive language, based on the idea that we're actually in some way excluding women or removing rights from women by taking these inclusive steps and I understand where those worries come from because people have said that I have encountered many people who say they've told us we can't use the word breastfeeding anymore we can't talk about ourselves as women we you know can't talk about pregnant women we have to talk about pregnant people I've heard all of those things what's really interesting is that they said they said that we can't which means I always get to go back and say, who said that? Oh, they did. Who's they? Who's actually said that? I'm a trans person. I haven't said that. If you're a woman, I will stand right next to you and defend your right to be identified as a woman till, <laughs> until I drop dead because that matters. But who has said that you can't use the word woman? You can't use the words breastfeeding. You can't use the word pregnant woman. Nobody has actually said that. Those arguments have been put forward by a very small but very committed anti-trans movement, also sometimes referred to as the gender critical movement, who ultimately are pitching two different marginalized groups against each other, or you know, women versus trans people. Whilst that infighting is going on, 
use the right language, don't use the right language. Someone up there mm. is doing very well on the fact that they're getting away with not actually delivering brilliantly to both groups of people, mm. and the argument is focused elsewhere. But it's about offering choice to the patient or the client, isn't it? So I identify as a woman and I think of these as my breasts and I use them to breastfeed my child. And if someone who's been trying to support me in breastfeeding my children had been talking about it as chest feeding, I would say, well, I identify as a woman and these are my breasts. So I'm happy to to call this breastfeeding. But it's about knowing that that whatever I want to call them um, mm-hmm. or the process is okay and encouraged by whoever yeah. I'm speaking with yeah and I think that is the point there is a fear that rights are being taken away uh, language is being taken away identities are being taken away and that's not the case we are simply adding so you won't find literature that talks about chest feeding only you will talk find literature that talks about breastfeeding and chest feeding you won't find literature that only talks about you know gestational parents you know they will reference all aspects of being a gestational parent because everybody needs to be included in that rhetoric it's like the way the way i sort of reflect on it is imagine we have leaflets for our services and then we recognize that those leaflets are no use to our blind and visually impaired patients because they can't see them so we produce a braille version we don't then stop producing the regular printed version and only make the Braille one available. We simply add. We add so that we can include more people. And that's what we're doing by broadening the use of language when it comes to gender, is we are recognizing that what we've got works brilliantly for the majority. Let's keep that, but let's recognize it's not quite working well enough and add stuff in to fill the gap. That's what we're doing when we're saying, let's include different language in our conversations here. We're simply making we're recognising that it doesn't fit everybody and we want to make it fit everybody. People aren't going to access a service if they see the headline and it doesn't include them. And that's where the problems lie because we know that trans people have are one of the groups that are least accessing services because they're, they're afraid because they've had too many experiences where they have been excluded, where they have been challenged in ways that are incredibly damaging to them. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I know that you saw another niche in the market recently for thinking about diversity and inclusion and having very important conversations whilst also seeing yourself and other people being represented um, in in just a standard thing like playing a card game. Uh, and that's another reason I wanted to talk to you, G. Could you tell us a little bit about your exciting new project, please? Absolutely. Uh, we we had an accident where we created a, a new version of the Happy Families card game. So I don't know if you've played the traditional Happy Families card game. I have. Yeah. I have. As a, as a child, not for a long time. Yeah. Well, it's essentially like Go Fish. You have to collect a fa- all, all the members of a particular group. And then once you've collected all of them, you've got those ones. And the person who collects the most by the end of the game is the winner. It's a fairly simple card game that's been played well since 1851 in fact when it was first created so like Miss, a, the, the baker family and stuff like yeah, that is that the baker what? family the butcher family so the original one had all these families that they're all white they were all a husband a wife a son and a daughter mr mrs miss and master and the surname is the father's profession so it's a it's based very much on these traditional notions of what families looked like back in the 1850s and we know that families don't look 
like that anymore. Occasionally they do, but families are way, way more diverse than that. And because of the business that I have where I'm working with people uh, with their branding and creating resources for them to market themselves and, and create products, one of the things I wanted to make available to people, they were asking me, can you help me make a deck of cards? Could be prompt cards or all kinds of different types of cards that people want to use within their businesses to help deliver what they do. So I started looking into that and I found somebody, brilliant LGBTQ printer up in Yorkshire, um, little, little queer-owned print company, and we figured out a way to print cards. I thought, you know what, we'll, we'll do a test. And I had a look around and realised that there wasn't a version of Happy Families that was anything like representational of what modern families look like and we ourselves are a we're a blended family we're a queer family we have non-binary family members we're you know within our extended family we're, we're certainly not all white there's a we're, we're, we're a diverse bunch as are probably most families and so we created a new version of it that is full of different combinations of groups of people who call themselves families we've got single parent families we've got blended families we've got family without children we've got uh we've got grandparents we've got multi-generational stuff going on we've got pets in there we just mixed it up and we did this for fun we've got 100 boxes printed thinking over the next year we'll sell them to our friends and our friends friends and that'll be lovely and it's kind of blown up so we're now on our third big print run and um we're sorting out going to one of the big games expos next year, and we have accidentally created an inclusive games production company <laughs> in an entirely unexpected way, which is lovely. But it's um, it wasn't something that we planned. For the end really of the year. lovely, but really yeah, important. And well, well done to you. There it is. Happy families. Um, but it's I really, you know, I reached out to you. Um, partly because of this, because when I was working in CAM services, which stands for Children, Adolescent Mental Health Services, um, we often, you know, play games with um, children and young people whilst we're kind of, you know, getting to know each other, but also because sometimes some people find it really difficult to to talk one-on-one -on -one, and so you'll kind of busy yourself and be doing things. But it's a really nice opportunity, actually, this card game, to do something that feels inclusive and respectful, but also helps many of the people who might be in our services to feel heard and understood. And, you know, whether it's because of issues with gender and diversity or pronouns or, you know, ability or, you know, whether their family are, you know, their birth family, it, it provokes lots of really important conversations that might well, like I said, be partly part of the reasons why we're actually seeing them in the service to begin with. Yeah, very much so. And, and I think this is one of the things, or the biggest piece of feedback we've had from people has been we don't we don't define the family we simply say here's a group of people and for the purposes of this game they are a family we don't know how many of those characters are trans or how many of them speak english or how many of them have hidden disabilities we simply don't know and that's the point we don't know if the family that has three adults in it is a blended family are they a polyamorous family? Are they a group of friends who are collectively raising a child? We don't know. We don't need to know. And that's the whole point is, is families can look like all kinds of things. They don't need to tick any particular boxes in order to be validly a family. 
and that's, it's, it comes down to representation. You know, if, a, if it, particularly in young people, if you don't see yourself represented in the world around you, then you always will start to question why, what's wrong with me? Why am I, why am I not there? Why am I so different? And it, little things like this just just help to alleviate that a bit and just show that all families go, all families are valid, and all families are okay. And what we found has been brilliant is the way that people have jumped on this as a way to start having those conversations. So, hey, let's play a game. But you know by the end of the game, you'll be having a conversation that's along the lines of, so So, do you think that person is is in a relationship with that person? Or do you, may, do you think these families might live next to each other? And, and how would that work? And you get to start those easy conversations, open conversations, without putting anyone on the spot important conversations to have show us the pack again up to the camera so people know what they're looking for g it's that uh, at the moment it's happy uh, it's the business we've set up is the rainbow family circus so it's rainbowfamilycircus.co.uk and you'll find all the information about the game and be able to buy it on there but we've got you know we've got a single dad family or a masculine presenting person and uh, we have mixed race families we've got um a two dad family we've got to mum family we've got an adult only family or maybe one of them is a teenager or we, we don't know maybe they're siblings we don't know we don't need to know mm-hmm. yeah they do, have, they um, do have a very cool power of them it's stay curious isn't it and you know give people permission to to be who they are and help facilitate conversations um, you know, in an open, non-judgmental space. So thank you so much for your time. I feel like I could have spoken to you all day uh, about so many different topics. But um, yeah, I will make sure that I put details about you and your social handles in the show notes. And of course, tag you in this podcast as well. Um, and the wonderful, um, the wonderful Happy Families game. So thank you so much for your time. Um, and for so richly and generously spreading your knowledge um, with with our audience. You're very welcome. Can I leave you with one thing? Please do. One of the things you said right at the start of this conversation was um, was recognising that sometimes people have a fear of getting things wrong. Mm-hmm. And I just want to tell them that that's okay. You will get things wrong. I get things wrong. We all get things wrong. If you inadvertently misgender somebody or use the incorrect name or title, there's a really easy answer. You just say, oh, I'm sorry. I meant the right one. And you move on. Mm. That's the really key thing. Acknowledge it and move on. That's all you need to do. You will get it wrong. I misgender myself sometimes. It's okay to get it wrong as long as you put it right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's been a very high profile case in the palace recently of someone not backing down and not apologising and, you know, actually really offending um, somebody about their about their heritage. Um, and I think there can be a lot to be said for just saying, you know, I'm sorry, I, I misunderstood, I got it all wrong and I'm really sorry. Um, but yeah, this is just, you know, give people permission to be human and to be who they are and know that, we can't get everything right all the time, um, but if we do it with the best of intentions, hopefully, um, and apologise when we do get it wrong, um, we'll do more good than harm. We will, indeed. Thank you so much for your time, G. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure.
Wow, wasn't that amazing? G is incredible. Um, and I certainly learned a lot there. So will you be changing um, your socials to say what your preferred gender pronouns are? Is that something you could consider doing? Um, I um, absolutely am going to be doing that um, in future. So I'll be changing my overlay um, to tweak it to say she and her. Um, so yeah, thank you for that important conversation, G. Hope you found that useful. Please do come along and discuss it on the Aspiring Psychologist Community free Facebook page. But as promised, there is an exclusive competition. Um, I have bought two copies of the Happy Families Progress Edition. <laughs> That's them shaking um, card games um, that we discussed in the episode. I'm going to give both of those away, one over on LinkedIn and one over on Instagram. So do come and connect with me on both of those platforms. I am Dr. Marianne Trent in both places and the competition will run until midnight on Monday, the 2nd of January, 2023. So yeah, come along. Um, take part. Um, I don't quite know what the details of the competition are going to be yet, but I will by the time you listen to this. So you've got a week, but don't wait. Do it today um, because I will post a copy if you're the winner um, on Instagram or you're the winner on LinkedIn. I'll post those to you in the UK. Um, so yeah, G kindly said that she was happy for me to, to run the competition. So I bought those. So I bought those along with my own version. So I do actually have three. Um, but I'm going to keep one and play those with my children. Um, but yeah, if you would like to have a copy for your children and families service or for your own private practice, um, working with children and young people, or just to play with your family, then please do swing over to LinkedIn or Instagram or both. You can enter on both platforms. Um, yeah, and I will be delighted to post those to you if you are the winner. We'll get my lucky prize wheel wheeling around again. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for listening. Hope you found it useful. And yeah, good luck if you do decide to enter. Um, thanks for listening. And I will look forward to catching up with you for our next episode that lands with you from 6am on Monday. Um, thanks for being part of my world and I'll speak to you very soon. Take care. If you're looking to become a psychologist, then let this be your guide. With this podcast at your side, you'll be on your way to being qualified. It's the Aspiring Psychologist Podcast with Dr. Marianne Trent. Hello, my name is Veronica Kassova. 
I live in Edinburgh and I just graduated with a master's in psychology of mental health. Marion recommended me the Clinical Psychologist Collective when I was networking on LinkedIn and I must say I love it. Um, it is one of a kind. It's like a window into the lives of people on the path of becoming a psychologist. The stories are unique, honest and filled with a kind of intangible wisdom only personal storytelling can uncover. A common thread in the stories I valued most was to be compassionate not only with others, but with myself too. Also, not fixating on becoming a psychologist, but enjoying life, growth, and the final results will come as a byproduct. Marianne, thank you for taking the time to collate all the stories. The book is a true gem, and I think every aspiring psychologist should have a copy on their shelf. Thank you.